Thank you. Amen. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. It's good to be here with everybody today in uh, Pastor Darrell's absence. I'm happy to be able to uh, be here. It's good to be back standing in front of you and to see all of you this morning. Be able to speak today after about three weeks ago. We got back from India with Luke and Lauren. We shared at that time, and it was a good time, good experience for them. And again, I just want to thank all of you for your prayers for three weeks while we were gone. I uh, just wanted to mention also, as uh, Jennifer just did, the scripture reading for this week and for last week when Mark was preaching. We didn't have the public reading, but it's in the bulletins with the questions if you want to go over because both Mark last week, myself this week, are referring to a lot of scriptures that are actually uh, some of them in those references. So we'll not be having the readings this book uh, this morning, but we'll include some of those areas in the messages today. Let's get right into the word. My title for the sermon today is God's Kings, uh, God's, the King's Way or God's Way. King's Way or God's Way. Who are we going to follow? For the message this morning, I felt led to share some truths and thoughts that I've had as a result of my daily readings and my devotions. And my devotional reading has lately been around the Jewish kings uh, residing and ruling in Jerusalem, found in 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, Chronicles. And uh, I'd like to say that's not exactly the most inspiring part of Scripture. Uh, I do hope you'll be inspired by the message this morning, though. Amen? Bless both of you. That's good. <laughs> but... Uh, <clears throat> I discovered that that is really a very revealing part of Scripture as to the experience, the godliness, or the lack thereof in these kings, their rule, and the result upon a people and their godliness. So I want to deal with that this morning. I just felt led to do that. Uh, this has been speaking to my heart for several weeks, really for even months, that I want to share with you somehow sometime the, the, the thoughts and the insight that I feel that God has given me for this message. And uh, most of the message will be from the Old Testament kings, and I hope that I will be able to make it clear so that you'll be able to see uh, what I'm trying to get at. So that you can follow me better in this sermon, I'm going to put on the screen the three points. I'm going to make three points, and they're going to be how we live is very important. Secondly, how we pray is very important. I'm getting these from the kings that I've read about. Based on these two points, the third point is how God treats us is very important. That's the direction we're going to be going. The very first thing I want to deal with for us to see and learn from is the continual repetition of the kings that we could be really careful about how we live. They needed to be careful how they lived. The question is, are we following God's word and his direction? Or are we being swayed and influenced by the culture of today's society, by the logic that the world has to offer instead of what God and his word says that we should be? Same thing that they faced, same thing those kings faced, was either to follow God, whom they could not see, or else make idols that God said don't make it and have a God they can see and go by the philosophy and the culture of the world around them, or do they follow what God had to say? Uh, as I got ready for this message, I thought, that's not too far removed from where we live. 
We can't see God. It's a spiritual thing. And uh, are we really going to believe and trust him? Or are we going to go by what culture says, what society says, that we should be acting like, get our cues from the world? I became very aware of the generations following each other. And if they follow the path or the practice of their father, their predecessor, or they listen to other voices, they could either follow the father that they or was king before them, if it was a godly man, or they could listen to other voices pulling them away from godliness and his word and the way that God had laid down. I'm going to be very honest. I really wrestle with it because I really don't know how to pre- present that. It's so complicated with all these kings. And I'm sure you don't want me to hear all, you don't want to hear me name off a list of Old Testament names and their successors. That wouldn't be very inspiring. But somehow, I want you this morning to catch the truth and the facts that I begin to really feel in my spirit and see clearly. So I think I'll begin with David and Solomon, because those are probably more familiar to us. And uh, first of all, we probably all know that David in the Bible is called a man after God's own heart. Amen? Uh, God approved of David. And David was a great king. But David also sinned. David also was human and had a great fall. Somebody said, I think it's on the thing, David may have been a great sinner, but he was also a great repenter. He knew how to repent. Psalms 51, we're going to read that to you because you see the brokenhearted and the repentance after his great sin. It shows his attitude and his spirit. I'll be reading some longer passages of Scripture, which is one reason we didn't have the Scripture reading ahead. But on the back of your bulletin, you may want to just write down those references. You can go home and read it. This is the Psalm of Repentance. David wrote in Psalm 51, after his sin, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness and according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. Then he said, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from every sin, for I acknowledge, I acknowledge my transgression and my sin before you. Against thee and thee only have I done this evil in thy sight, that you might be justified when you speak and clear when you judge. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. What that's saying is, this is a, what I did is really a part of me. I was born this way. I just went that way because it was put in me. Then he says next in verse 6, Behold, thou desirest truth in the hidden part. Make me to know your wisdom. Look at all the title. Look at all the things he says. Purge me and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Dropping down to verse 9. Hide thy face from my sin. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. That's the cry of repentance from somebody who really was greatly repenting. Notice all those terms. Purge me. Wash me. Hide your face from my sin. Blot out my iniquity. Create in me. Renew a right spirit. Cast me not away. 
Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your spirit. He was crying out from the depths of his heart. And much, uh, uh, God did so many things for David. Much of what he did was very good. David's story is told in First and Second Samuel, how he pleased the Lord. Even how he wanted to build a temple for the Lord. But God said, no, you just gather the material for the temple and your son Solomon will build the house of the Lord. Let me just read a verse from 1 Samuel 16, 18. The Lord made a covenant with David. The Bible said David was a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord was with him. Man after God's own heart. His son Solomon was chosen to be the next king. And Solomon started out very well after the next king after David. Solomon built the temple of the Lord as David wanted. And remember, Solomon dedicated the house of God. After it was built, he did the dedication prayer. And in that prayer, well, remember when he began to dedicate the prayer, it said the glory of God came in the temple. It was so real, so powerful that the priest could not even go in because the presence of God was so powerful. That's the kind of man Solomon was the son of David. I started to say, in that dedication prayer, David was given a verse from the Lord that we quote so often in 2 Chronicles 7.14. In fact, two weeks ago, I think it was, Pastor Harry preached on this verse. If my people, which are called by my name, shall what? Humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. The Lord met personally with Solomon on two occasions and answered his request for wisdom to rule his people. I want to read now another passage in 2 Kings, excuse me, 1 Kings, if you're writing it down. 1 Kings 9, 1 to 9, tells of God's meeting and his promises to Solomon. And I want to read that to you from 1 Kings 9. It says, it came to pass when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house, and all Solomon's desire, which he was pleased to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he appeared to him in Gibeon. And the Lord said unto him, to Solomon, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication that thou hast made before me. I have hallowed this house which you have built to put my name here forever, and my eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. And if... I want to stop for a minute and just ask you to notice I'm reading the word if. Now, I will be there forever, God said, if you will walk with me as David, your father, walked, with integrity of heart and right uprightness to do according to all that I've commanded, then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever and will not fail a man to sit upon the throne of Israel if you will follow me. Look at verse 6. But if, but if you shall at all turn from following me, you or your children will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but you go and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, this house which I have hallowed for my name, will I cast out of my sight, and Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all the people. 
And at this house which is high, and everyone that passes by shall be astonished, and shall hiss. And they shall say, Why hath the Lord done this unto this land and to this house? And they shall answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have taken hold of other gods, and worshipped them, and served them. Therefore God hath brought upon them this evil. This longer passage of scripture that I just finished reading is kind of like a policy statement from God. It's a policy statement regarding godliness among his people. Solomon started out very well as king following David. Let me read 1 Kings just 1 verse 1023. Thus Solomon excelled above all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. The whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. Solomon was doing well, but in the very next chapter, I want you to get this. First Kings 9, I read, excuse me, two chapters. I'm going to read now from First Kings 11 on the screen. It'll be on the screen. First Kings chapter 11. Now Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. And the Lord had clearly instructed people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on having them anyway, no matter what the Lord said. I'm going to marry these women. And it says in verse 4, came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart to other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. Do you see that transition taking place? Because he didn't follow the Lord. It even says that Solomon built a high place of worship for Chemos, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise he did for all of his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing that he could not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. And wherefore the Lord said to Solomon, For as much as this is done of you, and you have not kept my covenant, my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. Verse 13, however, I will not, I will not take it away, all the kingdom, but I'm going to save one tribe, actually it was two tribes, one major tribe. Uh, I'm going to keep one tribe to your son, for thy son, the son of David, my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem, for my name's sake. What I've just read is really the story that happened king after king after king. They had the opportunity. And God had told them, if you'll follow me, I'm going to bless you, bless the nation. Uh, you're going to be well with you. But if you don't follow me, um, then if you're going to go after other gods, it's going to happen just like I read to you. And so a prophet came. And said to them, to Solomon, the northern ten tribes will be taken away from him and given to another king. 
I want to explain to you, that became the nation of Israel. And that made up the ten northern tribes to be ruled by now King Jeroboam, another man who also was very wicked. Consequently, much later, the nation of Assyria, 722 B.C., before Christ, 700 years before Christ, they came and conquered and took Israel and a people captive to Assyria, and they never returned again. They became known as the ten lost tribes. To Solomon, he said, I'm going to leave you two tribes, namely the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Benjamin, and uh, that will become the nation of, Israel, of Judah. Ten tribes will be the nation of Israel, the two tribes will be the nation of Judah, and you'll rule over them, and the city of Jerusalem you'll inherit. Now, I put that on the overhead because I want you to see the next thing on the overhead. God divided Solomon's kingdom. Two tribes, Benjamin, are now known as the nation of Judah. Ten tribes are known as the nation of Israel. And uh, I counted up 25 kings of Israel. The northern ten tribes, 25 kings in a row were all evil. Not one worshipped God. All of them went after other gods, serving idols, except maybe Jehu, I didn't look that up to def be definite, he was busy wiping out other people in opposition. So that's the kingdom of Israel. Who are they? Ten northern tribes, 25 kings, none of them served God, and by 700, Assyria came in, took them captive, and they never came back to the promised land again because of their wickedness. What I want to deal with this morning is look with me at, with me at the kings of Judah, I'm explaining that because when you read the Bible, you'll say it, it may have a heading, so-and-so the king of Israel, so-and-so king of Judah. You know, Israel's the ten northern tribes. Judah are the two southern tribes. And Solomon, after he forsook the Lord, went after other gods. He was from the southern tribes. His son Rehoboam followed in his father Solomon's evil ways. And the Bible says in 1 Kings 14, 22, during Rehoboam's reign, the people of Judah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Solomon started out so well, but notice he turned because of his wives and worshipped their gods, and his son takes over, and he's evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking his anger with their sin, for it was worse than that of their ancestors. They built pagan shrines, set every high hill, hill be under every green tree, they, broke, they built a shrine. It even says there were male prostitutes throughout the land. It also says that people uh, in, um, uh, imitated the detestable practices of the pagan nations that the Lord had driven out from before. They began to act like the people that God had taken out. And this shows how far corrupt the people had become in just a generation or two after King David. So we have, first of all, David. This morning, the great king who served the Lord repented and was honest. Solomon, his son, started out so well, built the temple, but then began to build altars and idols for his foreign wives and worship those gods. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, just totally wicked, detestable practices, the Bible says, under his rule. That's in 1 Kings 14, if you want to read it. After Rehoboam, his son, Abijam, it says he committed the same sins as what his father did. But then he had a son 
named Asa. Finally, we got one we could pronounce, A-S-A, Asa. That's pretty good. Asa, in 1 Kings 15, wicked grandfather, wicked father, he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight as his ancestor David had done. He cleansed the land of detestable idols, reestablished worship in the temple. He reigned for 41 years, and he was a good king. That's Asa, the son of wicked kings. But his son was named Jehoshaphat. I was like that. When I'm pronouncing Asa, that sounds easy. When I was a little kid, I remember we used to like to say Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was his son, 1 Kings chapter 22. He followed his father Asa's example. He was a good king, reigned for 25 years, but still didn't remove all of the idols. Now that gives you an example. I just hurried through that as far as fast as I could. That's an example of what was happening in Judah regarding the kings and serving God. There were some good ones and there were some bad ones. I want you to remember the name Hezekiah. Now we go down, it, I think it's interesting in this list of kings, some sons uh, as his successors would walk godly. They would even follow what their fathers had done. Some just opposite, their fathers, godly father ruling, but then their son rebelled and was a wicked ruler after a good father. I told you I had 25 kings I counted in Israel, all bad. I counted 16 more kings in Judah before the captivity that went into Babylon. That was in 586. God allowed Judah to have another 132 years Israel didn't have because they had some righteous kings. And we're going to put up here the five kings that were righteous. Uh, of those 16, only five or six did what was right in the sight of the Lord, were righteous in serving him. And uh, these were good, God-fearing kings that we need to know something about. First one mentioned is uh, after Asa, Jehoshaphat, good kings. Joash was a good king. Very unique story of Joash. He was hidden as a baby because it was the custom when another king came in, he would kill all the people of the former kingdom so that nobody could take over. Well, his nurse hid him for six years after he was born. And he was made king at the age of seven. Can you imagine that? King of Judah at the age of seven, instead of the wicked queen that had been disposed. The people who saved him for six years was the priest's family. The priest of God became the mentor and the guide for this boy, King Joash. And therefore, the priest advised him in the ways of the Lord. And the rule of Joash was righteous at that time in Judah. Two other men up there, Josiah, great religious reformer, but I'm going to deal with Hezekiah primarily. I want you to remember that name. Now, first of all, we have seen, number one, how we live is very important. I went through the kings. They lived for God. They did good. If they didn't live for God, we're not so far removed. Same thing happens. You live for God, God's going to bless you. If you don't live for God, it's going to be some disasters happen. Well, Hezekiah brings me to the second point of my message, and that is how we pray is important. Hezekiah, great name. He brought reform, revival to the nations. Second Kings 18, we read about him. We read that 
Uh, I want you to remember that name, Hezekiah. He was 25 years old when he came to the throne. He reigned for 29 years. It says in uh, chapter 18, verse 3, he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as David, his ancestor, had done. He removed all the idols from the land. We read he trusted the Lord. And notice it says there was no one like Hezekiah in all of Judah, either before or after his time. He remained faithful to God in everything. He's my character for the second point here. Be careful how we pray. Uh, The verse says the Lord was with him. Hezekiah was successful in everything he did. Wow, what a king. What a contrast to the other kings we've seen this morning. In chapter 20 of 2 Kings, it tells us, I'm quoting here in the Bible, about that time, Hezekiah, Hezekiah became deadly ill, and the prophet Isaiah, remember Isaiah, they wrote the book Isaiah, the prophet of God, he came to see King Hezekiah. Hezekiah uh, excuse me, Isaiah is a real prophet of the Lord. He's the one that prophesied 600 years before about Christ being born. Isaiah 53 tells about him going to the cross. He was able to prophesy about these things. This prophet went to Hezekiah and said, quote, This is what the Lord says. Set your affairs in order, for you are going to die, and you will not recover from this illness. That's the word of the prophet. You're going to die. 2 Kings 20, verse 2 says, When Hezekiah... Heard this, he turned his head toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, and then he broke down and wept bitterly. To continue, this, to continue the story, before Isaiah even got out of the courtyard, the Lord sent Isaiah back to Hezekiah with a message, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you and add 15 years to your life. My point is, point is I make it, be careful how and what you pray for. Because although he was healed, although he got 15 more years, there would be a disaster coming in those years. And this is why I'm preaching this message this morning. I had to lay the groundwork of kings that were good, kings that were bad, until we came to Hezekiah. He was a good king, did wonderful. God even gave him 15 years more. He even healed him. But there would be disasters during those 15 years. The first disaster... It describes enemies will be coming in the years to follow. Second disaster, Hezekiah made a mistake of judgment that would cost him dearly. He showed all of his treasures, all of the riches that he had, as well as the vessels of gold from the temple and the rich furnishing of the temple. He showed them to an envoy from Babylon. And the prophet Isaiah, the same prophet, came and told Hezekiah that because he showed all of this to the enemy, all of it would be taken in their, to their country in the Babylonian captivity that was going to come. Mistaken judgment during those 15 years. But the third point, I'm going to put on the PowerPoint for you to see on the screen. Third thing that happened in 15 years was a child was born to Hezekiah within those extra 15 years that would follow him on the throne as the most wicked king there had ever been. After a godly father, a son, a most wicked king follows him. That child's name was Manasseh. And he would become king when he was only 12 years old and he would reign for 55 years. 
not like his godly father, who brought a revival to the whole land and tore down the idols. Instead, his son Manasseh, well, let me read from 2 Kings 21-2. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he did evil in the Lord's sight, following the detestable practices of the pagan nations. I'm just going to give you some, I'm not putting all this on the screen, this script. I'm going to give you some excerpts from chapter 21 of 2 Kings. He did that which was even in the sight of the Lord of the abominations of the heathen. He built again the high places, that is where we worshiped idols, which Hezekiah's father had destroyed, and he raised up altars for Baal, the main heathen god. Manasseh also sacrificed his own son in the fire. That's the heathen practice. Notice he practiced sorcery and divination. He consulted with mediums and psychics. He did much that was evil in the Lord's sight, arousing his anger. Manasseh even made a carved image, an idol, that he set it up in the temple in the very place where the Lord had told David and his son Solomon, my name will be honored forever in this temple in Jerusalem, the city that I have chosen among all the tribes, if, there's that word, if the Israelites be careful to obey my my commands. If they'll be careful to obey, I won't send them into captivity. You follow what I just what just went through with you? This man, Manasseh, who was born during those extra 15 years, 15 years, he was 12 years old when he started to reign. I read some commentaries on this that said Hezekiah was so distraught at the news he was going to die because he had no son to follow him on the throne. Well, by getting his extra 15 years, he got a son after three years, 12 years old, when he began to reign. That's the timing of Manasseh's verse. This became very personally real to me several years ago when I was teaching here in our Bible college, a course called Old Testament History. And as as I taught, I was so conscious of what we're reading here. Never preached on this, but God gave Hezekiah 15 more years Upon hearing the news he was going to die, he cried. And during those extra 15 years he had, he also had a son named Manasseh began to reign at the age of 12 during those 15 years to that child that was born in those extra 15 years. But did you notice that his son Manasseh, Hezekiah's son Manasseh, who followed him, was so wicked that for 55 years, it was the worst in their history. And he was born to Hezekiah in those extra 15 years after God had said, put your house in order, you're going to die now. I've never forgotten how that hit me and what it meant. As I was teaching that, it just like hit me. The extra years he got, he produced the worst king to ever sit on the throne in God's kingdom message that I really felt I should deliver today is be careful what you pray for. Be careful what you pray for. We have been exhorted to pray, not my will, but thine be done. Even Solomon, the wisest man who we started this message with, said in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 and 2, to everything there is a season and to every time there's a purpose under heaven. There's a time to be born and there is a time to die. And God had said to Hezekiah, It's time for you to die. But Hezekiah 
said, no, let me live. And God told Hezekiah, your time is up. It's time for you to go. But he wouldn't go. He insisted on staying here. And God gave him another 50. God answered his prayer. But I just want to say this morning, I really feel it's important how we pray. Even James in the New Testament said, we ask and we don't receive many times because we ask amiss that we may consume it upon our lust or our desires rather than the will of God. We pray, Lord, what do I want, not what do you want? That's one reason I am so convinced of praying in the Spirit, not with my own understanding, because there just is an awful lot I don't understand, especially about the will of God that what he once done. Remember the verse in Romans where it says, you don't know how to pray for as you ought. So pray in the spirit and I will speak with you with groanings. You won't even be able to understand what's going on because you're praying in the spirit. I want to pray in the will of God. I, I don't want to act selfishly, ask selfishly or from the wrong, wrong motives. Let the Lord pray through us rather than our will being done. Like Hezekiah, one of the greatest men there ever was, but his will and his desires entered into the picture, and the nation of Judah paid the price for the over a half a century, 55 years. We have to be careful, I believe, what we pray for, how we pray, what we ask God to do, and always pray, thy will be done in the will of God. In closing, it's just a, rem uh, a reminder, the third point that I had for you is how God treats us is very important. God, I believe, treats us on the basis of our prayers. I want to tell you, I, I pray many times that I don't mess up, desiring my will and my way over God's will and his way. Hezekiah, one of the greatest revivalists that and king there ever was, was unable to accept the word of the Lord from the prophet, and it cost him and the nation very dearly. So I want to remind myself of a verse that Isaiah, the same man, also prophesied, Isaiah 55, 8, 9, you know well. Isaiah, the same prophet, said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Verse 9, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Amen. My time's about gone this morning, but I think it's very important that we recognize that how we pray is very important in the, in the sight of God. And God's going to notice. And if we pray out of our selfish will, why don't we just pray in the spirit? Let God pray through us. Not my will, but thine be done. When it comes to God in our prayers, you know what happens? I think we often look on God as being sovereign. He can do anything he wants to. And therefore, God is in charge. He'll work it all out for good no matter what I do. But I want to tell you, it's also important to notice that we can go our own way and violate the will of God. We can move opposite the will of God, and we pay a price, we lose out. God wants to deal with us, and he will deal with us how we live, what we say, and what we do. I hope you've seen this morning the importance of living in the will of 
God because a lot of those kings didn't, but those who did were blessed. My three points this morning are living carefully, praying carefully, and walking close to God. Amen. And may God bless that to you. Would you stand with me and uh, stand this morning? Hallelujah. I, I just want you to, I knew it was going to be a heavy, detailed message, and I didn't want to lose you in the middle of it, so I hope you got it. <laughs> uh, I think it's very important. I want you to receive the Word of God, and I pray that it changes our view and our perspective. Meditate on this and, and how it can change our lives, and I want my life to be in the center of God's will and way, not my will, but thine be done. Let's pray, shall we? Father, I just pray that the words I've spoken this morning might have been a little heavy, a lot of kings involved. But Lord, I just pray in the name of Jesus that you will let the truth sink into us that we would not take our lives into our own hands. We would not get our cues from the culture of our world, not listen to the world's around about us, but that we might serve you. Bless us, O Lord. May we live in the will of God and walk in your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.